Welcome to In Their 20s, a podcast with the best advice. My name is Landon Campbell and I'm your host, and this is episode number 50 on the podcast. For over the past year, we've been interviewing the most influential business leaders, celebrities, and athletes to talk about one thing, their 20s, what they would do differently, their best advice, what they learned, the failures of their 20s. We extract the best advice from the best people that can help you, people who are currently in their 20s. Steve Wozniak is an absolute legend. Everybody knows that he co-founded Apple with Steve Jobs in his 20s. Steve Wozniak was just a man who had a plan. (laughs) He had goals. He loved computer programming. He had passions for education, sci-fi. All these interesting things came together to form Apple. So let's hop in with Steve Wozniak, or Woz, to hear about his best advice for people in their 20s. Hey, Woz. How you doing? Hey, good to see you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Really glad we could do this. How's your day going? Oh, going pretty good. Well, so we can dive right in. I want to sure. talk about what got you into computer programming originally. How did you become so passionate about this field? Um, computers today are like thought of as programming, but back then it was just an unknown term in hardware. It was kind of like rocket science. You never saw a computer. You never knew what they were. They were just, you know, huge things that somehow companies had or the military had. And um, so I did not get interested in it. I mean, I got... I got interested in science fiction and watching certain movies, reading books, you know, little heroes. I was kind of very normal, but I was very top student in math. You know, I wound up getting math awards at all my schools. And that led to also being tops in science and whatever. Well, when I was very early in elementary school, um, I discovered little, you had to do science fair projects. And I would just make up little electronic ones. My father was an electrical engineer and he just guided me in simple projects at first, and then incredibly complex ones. I just can't believe what was coming out of me, even when I was, you know, nine, 10 years old, building projects with drilling hundreds of holes and putting in hundreds of lights and hundreds of switches and, you know, showing off. I learned about electrons in an atom and gradually moved up, learned how to put those into electronic devices, like a transistor could make logic decisions, sort of like a logic class, but that's the heart of computers. Did I know that? No, I didn't know what computers were. And I stumbled across totally by accident, a journal only for engineers in our hall closet. Oh my gosh, it taught you how ones and zeros worked, how they got added together, how little logic gates were worked and how they could build up to things like adders. And I just started working on paper with ones and zeros. I said, this is going to be the love of my life. It's not in school. Nobody else does it. Nobody else knows this stuff. I even went to scientific bookstores like Kepler's in Palo Alto. Not a single book on computers. Wow. You know what a computer was. How are they built? What are they made of? You know, I knew electronics. I'd already had a ham radio license at 10 years old and soldered together every single electronic component to make transmitter and a receiver and all that stuff. But um, now this computer digital world was just something strange. Even by the time I graduated high school, I had taught myself no books or anything, just seeing a description of a computer in a manual that I I found out a way to get. And then I uh, just took my little logic gates from elementary school and started adding, make that computer. Took me months and months and months, maybe never completed that one, but eventually I got to where I was designing a computer almost every week. On the weekend, I'd shut the door to my bedroom, look at a computer description of its architecture inside, And then I was designing what chips would add up to that insights as the chips got better and better. So I could design any computer, any mini computer that were coming out around 1970, 20 years old. 
I could design any of them in two days. Wow. And I still graduated high school not thinking that um, uh, computer design was engineering. I was going to be an engineer. I knew that. I was going to be building the old analog engineering stuff. Radios, televisions, vacuum tubes, you know, before transistors, before chips. And uh, I, I didn't think that, I thought that computers were just designed in weird places called research. You know, not like companies. And they were designed in... Um, uh, the military and stuff. So I didn't think that that would be a job, an occupation. And I was wrong on that. that. Um, but fortunately, that was the start of my 20s and a lot of magic. I look back and it was pouring out of my head in this digital area, you know, though just looking for every little hint I could get about what is a computer? How do you actually, how would you actually make a computer someday? That's amazing. And it all just started as a hobby and something that you were interested in. You didn't know what the outcome would be. You didn't know yes. all the success of Apple and everything after that to follow. But this was something that you were just really intrigued about. Yeah. Um, and out, out of high school, I didn't know it was a job. It would be a job. Pretty much I started figuring it out, you know, in my first college year. But um, um, I just, uh, I don't know. I loved it and uh, didn't really have any uh, goals for it. I mean, I had a lot of values in me that had been frozen Forever, they would stick with me. I don't know why. I never would be inspired. I never wanted to have big money. Never wanted to start a company. I thought of big money as being evil because it's often spoken as corrupting your values. And I knew my values, caring about people, wanting to help the world, were just too good. And I wouldn't want to ever get into political things like, you know, trying for a better job and squeezing somebody else out. And competition was not my thing. Vietnam War had a lot to do with that. Of became very, very pacifist. So... Um, so anyway, um, the, the computers, I told my dad, you know, in, in designing these computers, maybe my first year of college, and I told him, I'm going to have a 4K computer someday. 4K was the minimum computer that could run a programming language. And of course, 4K of memory then at that time cost a million bucks or something. But I said, I'm going to have one one day. And he said, it costs as much as a house. And I said, I'll live in an apartment. <laughs> I was clear. I had an internal I would own a computer and I'd give up even having a home to have a computer someday in my life. And that, that thought kept struck with me my whole life, the same as my uh, desire to be a teacher someday because I admired, admired education so much. So that one stuck with me inside my whole life, you know, and both of them came out. I love this then. We can pivot to another question that I had about education uh, in one's life because it's clear that you are a forever student. You love to learn, 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 self-taught in so many different disciplines. Um, and I understand, you know, after the creation of Apple, you know, you went back to school. So talk about the education in your life, how it's played as an impact, um, and just any advice for young people when it comes to following their dreams within school. Sure. Uh, well, I was a very top student and coming out of high school, I had 800s in all the math and SATs and I could design any computer in two days and you'd say, oh, you shoe in for MIT or something, but I, I follow my heart a lot. And I flew out to Colorado with a couple of friends, my first time ever out of California to visit the University of Colorado in Boulder. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to have to add, I have wanted to live there ever since that day in 1968, uh, because it snowed. I had never been in snow in my life. And just in the last two weeks, my wife and I drove out to Colorado, looked at some houses and we bought one and wow. I'm going to, I'm going to live there soon. That's awesome. Um, but anyway, uh, we flew out there and I, the snow was there. I would not apply to any other college. I mean, I just fell in love with the whole idea, the beauty of the campus, a mile outside of town back then. Um, and 
Well, I was glad I could just follow my heart on everything. I, you know, I fell in love with, you know, certain technologies and passions. I wasn't told you have to study this. You have to become a doctor. You have to become a lawyer. I wasn't told you have to go to certain colleges even. And I admired my parents for not impressing their values on me. That was very lucky, but um, it really enabled me to, whenever I had free time, little money, I could go to I could find a manual on a simulation programming language or something, and I could study everything I could about computers. I could write programs. Like my first computer course as a freshman was a graduate level course, how introduction to computers, graduate level in engineering there. And I got an A plus in the course, but I ran so many programs. I ran the class five times over budget, more than out of state tuition. It's kind of like thousand dollars today. And I was too scared to go back to that school. The next year, man, a friend of mine um, somehow worked, he worked running, operating the computer, but he wasn't a programmer at a college and he had duplicated the key to the room. <laughs> we could go in at midnight and I could, he'd turn on all the parts of the, the IBM 360 model 40 and I write programs and run them through on punch cards. And uh, I just did, and I took every single course at that college even though they didn't apply to my four-year degree, I would take every course in computers or programming. And if there was ever a teacher that said the best any student's ever done on this one is 11 steps for an IBM 360 um, um, assembly language program, I would do it in seven. And then I'd do a second one in six, give one of them to a friend of mine. So we both got amazed the class. The teacher was, I like to do, that's just how I was. And I didn't know I knew that I was really good, especially at designing computers by then, you know, that I was designing them in very, very few chips. I would go to sleep thinking, is there a way to get it down from 78 chips to 76? Is there any clever trick I can think of? Wake up with answers sometimes. Um, that was my thing in life. But I was, you know, as you said, I, I was a good student throughout this time as well. Um, my, and I, but I was also random. After my second year of college, I didn't want to burden my parents with the cost of a four-year college. So I worked for one year mm -hmm. programming. I walked into a door by accident. They're, they're developing a computer here. Oh my gosh, I had hoped I'd ever touch a computer. They were developing one, applied for a job and got a job programming for a year to earn money for a car and my third year of college at Berkeley and went through that, that year of college. Man, I was only taking, by the third year of college, you have choices. And I was only taking um, upper division courses in hardware and software design and making the deans. And after that year, though, I'd crashed my car. Oh, fell asleep oh. on the freeway at two in the morning once. An incredible night in my life. The night I met Captain Crunch of Blue Box fame. And so I, um, so I decided I'll take another year off to earn the money at, for a new car and my fourth year of college. Uh, career, the jobs I got were great. And then I got into Hewlett Packard, an unbelievable company came along so it was 10 years later apple had been all successful and i had a plane crash and five weeks after i came out of a, a type of forward amnesia um i called up steve jobs and said look i know the mac people they're in good shape i was on that team they're they're the most creative people in apple you know burl smith can do as good a hardware design as i can so i'm going to go back to college last chance to get my degree so I could just tell my kids someday i, I graduated i didn't i didn't drop out of college i just hadn't done my fourth year so, uh, so I did go back, but I got so interested in how the brain works after my memory issues that I, I actually took all the psychology major courses. Wow. And, um, you know, and really learned a lot about what we don't know about the brain. Wow. 
We think we do. Not a, we don't know how it's wired. Artificial intelligence is a joke. It's not <laughs> intelligence or, or close to it. We don't even know how what intelligence is. We don't even know that our memories are stored in the brain. Yeah. There is the strongest evidence of it I came up with about 35 years ago was uh, maybe 40 years ago was you lose your childhood autobiographic memories and your teeth between ages six and 10. That's a stronger statement than any book correlation as to where memories could be. And we know they're not in teeth, but, you know, <laughs> trying to point out things we don't know and we act like we might know, but we don't. Maybe someday we'll figure it out. I was at one company one time where the engineers did figure out how to make a brain takes nine months. Wow. Yeah, nine month process. We're going to continue to see, you know, innovation um, throughout the next few years and years to come. But uh, it's great to point out that we don't have all the answers. A few other things that I do want to point out, you know, I love hearing about your relationship with the snow wanting to move to Colorado. Congratulations. You know, that's going to be really exciting. I uh, have that in common with you. I was from born and raised in the Bay Area, moved to Chicago for school, never knew a thing about snow. And, uh, you know, I don't hate Chicago for it. The snow, is, it takes a bit of an adjustment, but you get used to it. My uh, wife hates the cold of Chicago. The cold in Denver is not quite that bad. It bites. It does bite in Chicago. Um, and while as you mentioned, um, you know, your time at HP, um, I really did want to dive into this. Um, I want to talk about your time leaving HP to work on Apple. Um, because at the time, you know, you were at HP. I believe you were working on what was, you know, called like the hottest product at the time. I believe it was a handheld calculator, if I'm correct. Yeah, the handheld scientific calculator within, yeah. you know, it cost $400. And within five years, there would be no more $10 slide rules being sold. Only $400 calculators. Every scientist, every engineer could only work with this incredible device, um, like the, the hottest smartphone ever. And yes. the whole country was in, was in a depression, but this one made Hewlett Packard people. Every division, every other division was losing money. Oh, I was lucky to be working on that, but I did side projects. I loved the digital world and the word got around. There was this engineer that if you wanted something designed, he would design it for you. And I usually charged five cents. I got to design the first hotel movie system for a guy in Hollywood before they ever existed. Wow. Designing, designing TV codes for TV stations, stuff like that. I just did it for fun and bit by bit got closer and closer. I wanted to, I saw Pong. <clears throat> so I designed and I knew the old analog. I was a television engineer. I could repair televisions. I knew what sort of signals you had to put into a television, what timing. And now I knew the digital world, I could create it. So I created my own little pong game with 28 little $1 chips using my own TV. Input was the most expensive thing. The, um, the lowest cost teletype would cost as much as two cars. You know, who could afford that as a person? But you own a television, so it's free. So I, I created the Pong. Uh, eventually, Steve Jobs would keep coming in town about once a year. He'd see my latest design turn into money. He turned that one into a job. He took my board down, turned it into a job for himself at Atari. But he wasn't quite an or a designer. He couldn't quite do that step. He could understand some electronics like a technician. So I designed uh, Breakout for Atari, a very popular, famous game. And then I... Um, you know, so, so I'm going up and up this step closer and closer to the product that would be Apple's only revenues for the first 10 years of the company, the Apple II. Mm -hmm. Long came the ARPANET. Today, we have billions of devices on the internet. Back then, six computers on the ARPANET. That was the start of the internet, forming the, the methods for sending um, packets and keeping track of them and all that. And I, I had to build my own. That was, uh, so that was a step. And then Homebrew Computer Club, and I got inspired. Steve Jobs wasn't even around. He wasn't, wasn't even in town. But I attended every meeting since the club started, and it was the most important 
meaning of my life, hearing about what the life was going to be like when we had our own computers. That's why I always like to follow technology to see what's new and different, interesting. These are interesting things, not like boring, you know, chemistry textbooks. And uh, so I, so I said, well, wait a minute, I already have the input and the output for my terminal to get on the ARPANET. Why don't I just take the brains, a microprocessor? I had no money at all, no savings account. So finally found a microprocessor for $20, 6502. And memory was a problem. You had to have at least 4K or you didn't have a useful computer. You just had a thing with switches and lights that was a pretend makeup, you know, the guts of a processor. And how do I, okay, so I need 4K of memory. Dynamic memories came out that of 75. And I was 25 years old, 24 years old. Oh my gosh, I was able to buy enough to afford in eight chips. And that was 4K bytes of memory. Dynamic memory was the only way it was going to be affordable. Everybody else was just copying Intel data sheets. Then nobody was designing things on their own, like personal computers. Mm -hmm. They were just copying Intel data sheets. And a data sheet has to show a microprocessor connected to static memory. There's no way to show how you keep having all these circuits that refresh the memory. So, you know, because it forgets every bit in two thousandths of a second. So I built this little computer and I brought it down to the club and I showed it off. And I said, a computer is useless without a programming language. So I started writing a basic for it. And I would show off more and more every every two weeks at the club. We met on Wednesday and demo it. And uh, I was becoming kind of a hero at the club. I passed out all my design because I said, this computer, low cost, $300, and it can do useful things. This is what these people should have in their hands. And it's unlike that movie with Ashton Kushner. It shows him finding me in a basement, hauling me down to a club to show off this thing. What? What did I've been to? He'd never been to the club. I took him. I took him to the club, set up my TV, did my demo. He the interest around me. That's where he had zero money. I had a job as an engineer. He had zero money. So uh, he always said, he said, we should sell these. Where we should we should start a company, we should start a company, and uh, I was scared because I had made up my mind that my my values and ethics. Remember, I was never going to go up that org chart. I was never going to compete for big money and all that. So I was going. I had to turn be an engineer for life, bottom of the org chart, designing hardware and software. That's what I loved doing, and you could do that at Hewlett Packard, a company made for engineers. So I I wouldn't quite leave them and. Um, and uh, eventually they turned me down for the first of five times for the personal computer. Because back then Hewlett Packard didn't make consumers. They made things for engineers only with dials and switches and knobs and visual displays. So, you know, they would have made a boring project for engineers. They wouldn't have made a fun game playing computer. Um, the Apple II computer, um, when we got to that, we started, we had this thing called the Apple I that showed the world what the formula was. But before we ever shipped an Apple I, uh, we had my Apple II that I designed my own. First time ever arcade games were going to move from being black and white to color. Arcade games, the whole industry. Wow. Being started by Atari right here in Los Gatos, California, where I am now. They were all black and white. This the Apple II computer, it's the first time they were color and the first time they were software. You guys, you talk to a lot of people, 20-year-olds that, you know, have had programming classes, you know, computer science classes, and learn how to type in it. You could actually, in my mind, using the simple basic language, you could make a decent game for the time in one day. A nine-year-old kid could write a game in one day that had value. Before that, it took an engineer like myself with a hundred chips, thousand wires, hooking wires up, thousand wires, getting all the signals right for up to a man year to make a new game prototype. Now it was one day. The world was changed forever 
in gaming, not just computers. That was not just a good computer, the Apple II, all of Apple's revenues for the first 10 years of the company, expandable galore. No, it was also an incredible introduction to computers can be interesting, fun, beautifully visual, visually, and game machines. And eventually, um, we spotted that the market was business and Steve Jobs going that way. Trip Hawkins, a top marketing guy we hired out of Stanford Business School, wanted to have a game division, but Steve Jobs wouldn't go for it. So he left and started Electronic Arts. Wow. And I was one of the founders. I was one of the founders of that. Wow, I didn't know that you were one of the founders of EA too. That's amazing. Believe in, yeah, we, I, just, I believed in fun in, in everything you do in life. Of course. And if I'm not mistaken also, I think you held like the world record of uh, you know, Tetris for a while, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. When Tetris came out on the Game Boy, um, I kept um, taking photographs with old cameras, you know, with poor digital. Mm -hmm. uh, photographs and mailing them in and Nintendo Power Magazine always had me the top score in the country and I was getting better and better and then one time they said they wouldn't print my name anymore because of newcomers to get their names printed You're so I sent my name I, I spelled my name backwards and I put instead of Los Gatos California I put the next city over Saratoga so they wouldn't get suspicious yeah and I forgot I'd done it so I came the next time I saw Nintendo Power Magazine in, in the office in town and I picked up and flipped to the back there's a list of scores. Oh my gosh, there's somebody up there with a high score like mine. Is mine better or worse? And then I'm looking at it and I says, a foreigner. It was spelled Evitz Kanesau. And then I saw Saratoga, California, and yeah, I got I chilled. I actually got chilled in my shoulders and everything. This guy lives near nearby. And then I remember doing it. That's too funny. <laughs> I still have those copies of that magazine. Wow, that's really funny. Thanks for sharing that story, Waz. Um, and fun, you know, fun was the big part of my life, you know? You and know, that's I, I want to touch on for sure, um, because I obviously recognize that you have a history of, uh, you know, being a prankster. And that's something that originally brought you close to Steve Jobs. Um, you know, you guys were both pranksters earlier on. So I want to talk about that early relationship. You know, what was it like working with Steve Jobs? You guys are obviously the best founding team in history. Um, and you often refer to pre-Apple Steve Jobs as Steve Jobs zero. So I'd love to, for you to touch on that. Yeah, they talked about Steve Jobs one, then he left Apple. When he came back, he was Steve Jobs two, a little different personality, but um, and did incredible things. But Steve Jobs zero is the one I remember the best. We were just friends. I was so shy. I had very few people who could understand my brilliance and be interested in what I did at all. And uh, Steve Jobs and I met when I was 20, he was 16, and the didn't have any albums. So I had to bring him down to my house and show him the liner notes and the lyrics to all the Bob Dylan albums. It became a big part of our life. You know, we'd go to concerts together and seek Dylan memorabilia. And uh, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, philosophies of life and where it was going. This was, you know, Vietnam War days and government on people. And Steve was more of a true hippie. And I was just favoriting, favoriting things hippies did and were about, but I didn't do drugs. So I was just, so I wasn't a hundred percent like he was. And um, he was more free-minded. I mean, I drove him up to college, read college, went up there about six times, but he didn't go to any classes. He just sat the first week in a, he sat in a, in a, like in a tent, was in a tent with his girlfriend. Why aren't you in the classes? I could never brave <laughs> type of bravery, but I think he was not, he, he could think for himself and be himself and independent and didn't need to be pushed by others. Um, I did meet him uh, while I was building up a little computer I had designed of my own. I'd gotten given to me the chips. I could never afford a chip. The chips, I built this little computer with switches and lights, ones and zeros, push a button and 
memory, switch more ones and zeros and push a button, they go into memory. You can build up a program in memory that way. That's what everybody else was at five years later when I was showing off the what became the Apple One at the Homebrew Computer Club, everyone else was buying kits that were switches and lights, just what I had done five years before, the, uh, actually the day I met Steve Jobs. So, but we had a lot of fun. We played pranks on each other. We played together, you know, joking was fun. But I'll tell you, when it came to the final point of the Apple II computer, big, this was gonna make a company successful and big money would come in, Steve Jobs' personality was forming. Your personality forms between 18, 23 years old. I paid a lot of attention to this in psychology classes. And from then on, your personality really doesn't change. That's who you are. On to prove to the world that he was the brains of computers, bringing personal computers to the world. And I give him all the credit in the world for creating the product, but people thought he was like a designer of them and that wasn't really true. But he took this mental attitude, nobody else can be, has to be treated like they're not the important thinkers, only I am. Me, I was shy, put me in an engineering office far away, never near the, never near the business decisions and any of those, because I won't get into conflict with anyone ever. And so Steve got what he wanted, he, I got what I wanted, but it also turned him into kind of having to always be above others, smarter than others, and, and they're not important, and, uh, and he knows the way. And sometimes you, you get yourself in a really good position where you can be in charge of doing a lot of great things, out there just because you weren't going to let somebody else have that role mm -hmm. you know and me i was happy i was happy being uh, just unknown i only wanted one thing i didn't want to start an industry necessarily i mean sure i wanted to get the computers to the world but i didn't want to start a company necessarily um they came by by accident i said no at first to apple um the big money and then later later so i could be still staying in do it no, I wanted other engineers who had been trained in school on logic designs and designing these things to look at my designs and say, wow, how did he think of that? I mean, I knew that for 10 years I had this magic pouring out of me and I just want to be recognized by other engineers. So probably my one of my proudest achievements ever is I am an IEEE fellow. Representation, that's being acknowledged by other electrical engineers. Well, that's a great achievement. Um, so you touched on this a little bit, um, you know, just the evolution of your relationship over time. Um, you know, I'd love to talk about how you persevered through the conflict, maybe at times turbulence. I understand, you know, you were and always have been a very positive guy. Um, and at the end, you know, you really got what you wanted, um, which was just to improve the lives of people through innovation. Um, but, you know, the times that weren't always so good, how did you push through that? The times were always good for me in my life. Uh, yeah. I had my formula for happiness, doing a lot of these fun things, including playing pranks, making jokes, going to comedy, yeah. um, loving music, and and I and I didn't I didn't I didn't want to look back and this is bad, something's wrong here, we got to fix this because that's stress on the head, that's not good feelings. So if if something is wrong, what do you do now to be the most constructive? You, you're just proceeding in a forward motion, and uh, so I really never underwent any of that. Um, I, I just don't make enemies with anyone. If someone's bad to you, you're good to them. I live by those, that principle. Steve, I were never other than friends, you know, just never, we never had, uh, fights or arguments. I didn't really get into all that. Um, and also, I don't know if company stock going up and down, whatever, I kind of don't care. I wasn't really reserved from the money thing. Eventually I gave all my money away to good things. I got a street named after me in San Jose, California, 10th largest city in the world. Um, no, I, you know, and that's for doing good things, building museums and arts groups. And then, you know, I said, well, uh, 
okay, what do I do now? A new occupation. So I started public speaking. And after 15 years, I have risen to the top of that too. So that, that supports my family. It <laughs> gets us a house in Colorado. Yes, a nice one. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I know this might be a difficult question for you because there are so many good memories um, you know, through your career and you're currently still making so many great memories. But when you look back and reflect on your career, can you just pick one memory that always puts a smile on your face? Walking my daughter down the aisle kind of brings tears to me almost. And my, my, uh, my graduation from Berkeley, my real graduation, you know, a four-year degree that you'd worked with, not just an honorary. I've got a lot of honoraries since then. Um, and being nominated as Berkeley's alumnus of the year one year. Uh, they've got wow. so many dozens of Nobel Prize winners on their staff. And I got selected one year. Um, as, as far as happiness to my face and smiles, it's mostly, you know, it's not like achievements, you know, making money, make great computers, some of the clever things I thought, oh, I did some incredible things on Blue Box, on the floppy disk, on the Apple II that are unbelievable. But um, it's really more like pranks. When I remember a real night, funny, we played and we laughed and laughed and, and got people good, those sort of things. I get tons of them. If I ever write my prank book, the world's opinion of me is going to be quite a bit different. <laughs> He's shocked. I put it constantly, did a lot of them, put a lot of money and time into some. So um, well, let's have a little sneak peek. What's probably like the all-time best prank? If you can share it, if you want to save it for the book, that's fine. But uh, what's one of the favorite ones that you've... Uh... Uh, well, I, I got so many. I just can never pull one out. I can go back to high school and got a, I, I sneaked a, an announcement into the announcements everyone hears that said Stanford's head janitor would speak on higher custodial education. And everyone believed it. <laughs> you know, I learned how to do things with a very straight face. I get um, wrong number phone calls. I could tell you tons of those stories, but too many here. There's just many. Um, let me think of, of one. I oh, used to go to basketball games and I'd pretend to be a little late. We got to get into the close lot, the player's lot. You know, of course, I had a little I had a pass that I'd purchased to get in. But the people in the back of my car didn't know it. And I'd go to the guy and say, well, we got to get into the, the close lot because, you know, we've got the uh, national anthem singer here in the back. Sometimes they'd walk around, can you sing a little? And they'd be embarrassed. That was again using. Um, and uh, then we'd guide them into the seats, my friend and I, and we'd, we'd be in our seats thinking we, he's, this person would think they got snuck in as the national anthem singer or the halftime entertainment. And we'd, we'd get one of our friends, the ushers, to come over the right time and, and say, okay, it's time to go down and sing the anthem. <laughs> Uh, we did that many a time, but I've got so many, so many pranks that you won't believe. Um, some I can't even tell, but there's too many. Too funny. We'll wait for the book and I'm expecting a signed copy when it does come out. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I hope it comes out. I have to be in control of it. Of course. Um, so as we're getting close to the end of the interview, I don't want to make, uh, take up too much of your time, but um, I do have a question that would be really just helpful for people who are currently in their 20s. Um, so if you were in your 20s today, what products would you be focused on? Is there anything that really excites you? Um, I know AI probably isn't one of them, but crypto or anything else, what would you be focused on? I've seen too many changes in technology, which was my area, and bring a lot of negatives with them now. And even the largeness of the big tech companies, you know. Um, so I, it's really hard to say what I'd be into. Probably robotics, things that I could 
span a bunch of disciplines from, from electronics and motor control and motor safety to mechanical, mechanical armatures to um, uh, radio signals um, like Wi-Fi to control it to programming the microprocessors with sensors to make decisions, probably a little robotics, but something I could do myself personally as one person to create some cool things, maybe a little device, maybe someday somebody will create a device that way that just goes out in your driveway all night long, washing your car one centimeter at a time, some kind of dry wash. And by the morning it's done. That'd be so cool, you know, for a little affordable robot to do such a thing. And I know that one's possible. I'd like to think of things that I'm sure are possible. Um, a robot walking in my house and making a cup of coffee? Never. <laughs> a human being probably couldn't. <laughs> Unless it's really, really trained exactly for my home. Uh, it's like it's like self-driving cars. You know, I, I might be going off into that end of, of, of things for a while, but I would be out of it now. I'm so discouraged that what we call artificial intelligence is so much less than any human brain, even the dumbest human. Well, wow, our audience can hear that firsthand from a, was, um, a legend. So obviously that's really important. And I hope people in their twenties, you know, take that advice, get involved in things like robotics, you know, just really unique um, industries that just spark a lot of excitement as technology and computer programming did for you when you were in your twenties. Yeah. Internet of things, look around your life. What sort of things could you make better? and uh, get the skills. You have to have the skills, first of all, I'm kind of past that point, but, um, and start working on your own solutions. And just, and also just go into, if you want to, if you're interested, maybe in technology, digital technology programming, go into it um, just to experiment, just to play around for a while, not say I have to start a company. I mean, I built project after project after project for fun and not to start companies, get a Raspberry Pi. My gosh, I've had so much fun with my own Raspberry Pi here. Uh, you know, programming up a lot of little goodies in the house. Well, Waz, thank you again uh, for just taking the time to speak with me. It really means a lot. Um, this was just a huge interview and I just really appreciate it. You shared so much great advice. Um, you got to spot, speak about your personal journey as well, uh, things that you learned along the way. I just love how positive your outlook on life is. Again, you know, speaking towards that famous quote that you have, happiness equals smiles minus frowns. I love that you're just the nicest person in the room. You want to be kind to people. I think that's something that's just really, really important that more people in their 20s, but also not just in their 20s, all different ages need to practice a little more. How can we be more kind? Um, so thank you for really preaching all that. Really appreciate it. In that non-technical regard, I would add that, you know, the good decisions in life that make you good to me, they all come from honesty, deciding I'm going to be totally honest about life. I'm not going to make up stories, I'm not going to pretend I'm something more than I am. And uh, that's my last advice. That's powerful. Thank you, Waz. I'm just really excited for 20-somethings to hear this. It's going to be a really fan favorite and just great interview overall for people. Yeah, I actually very much like addressing 20-somethings because I think back to those times in my life, largely the college years which I, I skipped over pretty much, but those were the most fun years of my life and the most learning and developing. And I became, you know, who I was going to be and greatness in me uh, really in those years. And I want to inspire any college kids to really believe in themselves and spend any free time you have trying to learn, educate yourself, getting some skills, get good at something, um, be better than others, seek excellence. That's really the time to not just go out and give it all up party. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, this is your time to learn how to be a forever student. Just because you're out of school doesn't mean you can't constantly be learning. You know, reading new books, trying new things, um, taking risks. It's okay. Learning to is 
anywhere in life, just walking around, almost everything that got me really impressive fame and, and changed the world a lot, almost none of it came from school classes, academics, but it came from learning. But it was learning I just decided to do on my own. Now we have the internet, so it's really easy for anyone who has a goal. I'm really interested in chemistry and I'm eight years old. My gosh, you'd go through all the college chemistry by the time you're, uh, you know, 10 years old, as long as the you can go on a step-by-step -step process online. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, we have so many great resources on the internet. Uh, so thank you for being also a very important part of bringing this to us, um, okay. everybody. <laughs> well, thanks for your show because, you know, young people are so important to me. It's why I taught eight years of my life full time. So, you know, being a mentor, being a mentor and helping others. Very important because it is really important to always pay it forward uh, to people who, and that's again, like the really powerful thing about this podcast. Um, you know, not everybody has access to the best advice from the best people. So that's something I'm fortunate to be able to share with people. It's almost like, like everybody has a mentor um, in their pocket. So my, my advice to me, it's not like being a teacher. It's more being an example. Some other people will be influenced by examples and say, this is how I want to be in my life. Maybe even an inventor, whatever. Yeah. And starting companies is great. Making money is, is okay. That's fine too. I won't put anyone down. Whatever gets you happy. Of course. Gotta so. find that happiness. Yeah. Okay. Well, I gotta go now. Laws, thank you so much. Enjoy the rest of your week. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much for streaming our exclusive interview with Steve Wozniak, the co-founder of Apple. If you like this interview, you can check out the many more episodes we've released at In Their 20s. We've interviewed awesome people like Ev Williams, Beto O'Rourke, Jason Calacanis, and so many more high profile leaders. So check us out at InTheir20s.com. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, make sure to please leave a five-star review. See you soon.